Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. With the NFL Draft just two weeks from Thursday, believe it or not, we're joined by Benjamin Solak, who covers the NFL Draft for the DraftNetwork.com. And just want to thank you so much for taking the time during your busy time of the year, Benjamin. Yeah, man, tis the season, but I appreciate you having me on. There's no secret what the Texans need. I think for anybody that's followed this team, it's pretty much a lock that they're going to pick a cornerback and an offensive tackle with at least two of their three picks in the first two rounds. We hear rumblings that this is a deep draft for those two positions. Do you agree? It's tricky. You know, depth is is a, is a, a tough thing to suss out for a lot of positions. It depends on kind of what you need in terms of starters, in terms of role players. I think generally I would say yes. It's not the strongest draft class, but yeah, those are two positions that I think you're going to find some good starters. How would you attack the draft if you were Brian Gain? Listen, I mean, at this point, like Deshaun Watson might be able to sue for reckless endangerment if y'all don't get some offensive line help at this point. And so to me, it's very clear that that the Texans need to go early at offensive line and potentially double dip on the offensive line. Listen, the offensive tackle class, like we said, you know, it's going to be a class with multiple starters available in the first round, the big three are, you know, Taylor out of Florida, Ford out of Oklahoma, and then Williams out of Alabama. But even after that, you can get yourself a Dalton Reisner from Kansas State. You can get yourself a Yadni Kajus or an Andre Dillard. These are players who can be year one starters for you, and they have high ceilings. And I think that it would make a lot of sense for Houston in possession of, I believe, one first and then two second round picks. Uh, it makes a lot of sense for them to go in and go multiple starters on the offensive line to really infuse some, some high ceiling youth in there and hopefully buy Deshaun Watson some more time. So to me, on the offensive side of the ball, it absolutely starts with getting more protection for Deshaun Watson. That's priority number one. And then when you go to the defensive side of the ball, I think there's a lot to like in terms of what they currently have on the defense. I think the front seven is pretty much locked in place. But then you look into that secondary, and I think you could go safety and corner both relatively early if a starter that you like fell to you. But that would be my second priority. The offensive line, I think, takes precedence. I guess what I'm thinking in terms of is, you know, the Texans, I I feel like the cornerback might be even a bigger priority. I I, I don't know if nationally people understand how bad a priority the the cornerback situation is because, you know, it's Jonathan Joseph. And then they, they kind of got what I thought were two just a guys in free agency. And, you know, they lose Kareem Jackson, who's been their safety blanket even though, you know, he's nothing spectacular. So the cornerback situation to me with Jonathan Joseph aging quickly, you know, this is somebody that's in their mid-30s. He's not a number one cornerback anymore. I mean, if, if you're the Texans, do you think that you would go tackle in the first round knowing that maybe you might need to draft two cornerbacks, not just one? I mean, I, I you could say they need two tackles, but I, I think they could get by with a tackle that's a starter. I, I really feel like, though, that they're going to need two cornerbacks I mean, with, with with the type of draft that it is, can you be okay with getting a uh, maybe a cornerback in the first round and saying, hey, I'll back off and there's going to be tackles available in that second round that, that can start? Potentially, sure. It's tricky because this offensive tackle class is, is, is stronger than the corner class. And so if you do want to start at corner, yeah, it's probably going to be that round one pick where you're going to have to get them. I think from a scheme perspective, it's easier to hide and to protect your corners than it is to hide and protect your offensive tackles. If you're really going to protect an offensive tackle as a poor starter, then scheme-wise, you're, you're limited. You're going to have to keep a tight end capping him a lot. You're going to have to keep the running back shaded over to that side, and that's very limiting. Whereas for a corner, if you can keep a guy from being in pure man coverage with no safety up over the top, which is something that you can accomplish, then you can get by with, with 
I think, lesser starters. To me, when I look at the the roster and I see Jonathan Joseph and I see Bradley Roby, I think those are my two stars. Roby probably on the inside. So, yeah, absolutely getting an outside guy makes sense. When I look at the roster, it's still offensive line is the primary need. But you can go corner round one in this class if you want to get yourself a starter and still find high-quality tackles in round two. What are the cornerbacks that you think would be there in, in the, at the end of the first round that the Texans should look at if, if they go with corner? Yeah, if we're looking at, you know, right there in the 20s, there, there are two corners that are consensus first round and Byron Murphy out of Washington and then Greedy Williams out of LSU. Now, these two players are a bit uh, different in terms of how they're, they're deployed best. Murphy's going to be a cover three style corner whereas Greedy Williams is going to be more your man coverage guy who gets up in the line of scrimmage. So it's kind of pick your poison for what the Texans like to do. You would assume that they would like Greedy Williams and his mold a little bit better than they would like Murphy's. Williams has some effort questions and some tackling questions, however, that will turn some defensive-minded coaches off. I'm not sure Bill O'Brien's really going to like the cut of Greedy Williams' jib. So maybe Murphy makes more sense there. Those would be the two names I would look for at 23 as potential first rounders. Now, in order to get there, they have to get past, you know, the Steelers at 20 being a team that desperately needs a corner. If you look at the Giants at 17, they could go for a starter at corner. So you do have a couple teams to worry about, not to mention the Chiefs behind the the the, uh, the Texans who desperately need a corner and might trade up if they like somebody. So you have to be a little bit wary of the other teams that are around you. And once you start getting into the second round, you start getting into more scheme-dependent style of players. You think about a Trayvon Mullen out of Clemson. Think about a DeAndre Baker out of Georgia. These are limited players who, in the correct role, cast correctly, could be helpful, could be starters. But you're not really going to get that blue-chip sort of play you get from Murphy or Greedy Williams. For reasons that a lot of us don't understand here, the Texans like offensive linemen that can play multiple positions. And you feel like the Texans are going to draft a tackle that they hope could play either the left or the right tackle, which I don't necessarily agree with that. You know, I think they just need to get somebody that's really good at one position and, and leave them there. But is there a tackle that would fit that mold in the first couple of rounds, a guy that can play left or right tackle given the opportunity? Yeah, I think that, you know, at this point, switching tackle sides is something that we see happen more and more frequently, kind of like you're alluding to. And so there isn't really a tackle that I, I would look at and say, all right, there's no way he can start on the other side. You're not really going to obviously want to push guys from different positions left and right. if You can leave them where they are. But it's nice for guys to have that flexibility. One of the most flexible offensive tackles that we're going to see in this draft is Dalton Reisner out of Kansas State. Now, he's, he has experience at left guard, center, right guard, and right tackle. He's never played left tackle, but he fits that sort of a mold where he can play all over the line. Some teams like him better on the inside. Some teams like him more on the outside. Not dissimilar to Martinez Rankin when he came out of Mississippi State where the league was all over the place as to whether he was a center, a tackle, or something in between. So Reisner fits that versatility mold. There isn't any tackle who I would say in this class has to start on the left or has to start on the right. Obviously, you want to keep guys where they were in college, but it's becoming a lot easier to switch up tackles in the way the modern NFL is played. With Andre Howell's sudden retirement, the Texans really don't have a good backup at safety. I assume they'd go with running back in the top three rounds for sure before uh, the retirement of Andre Howell, but safety has jumped up as a priority. Is, is it a good year to be looking at safety, say, in the middle rounds? I'm thinking maybe in the third round for the Texans. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a real thick safety class on day two. You're going to have uh, you know, a player in Chauncey Gardner-Johnson out of Florida who's you know, probably the best safety in this class. Though there's some differing opinions. And then after him, it's just a slew of round two, round three guys. Uh, and if you look 
at what we've got currently on the Texans depth chart in terms of Justin Reed, likely your starter at free safety, Sean Gibson up there in the strong. You probably want to be looking more so for a box style of guy who you can accompany with Justin Reed looking far into the future. That's where you're going to look at your Imani Hookers out of Iowa, your Darnell Savages out of Maryland, who's a great little nickel box, sort of a hybrid player. He's really exciting. And then a Taylor Rapp out of Washington who's a tried and true box safety, fantastic tackler. Those would be the three names that I would circle that I think make the most sense with Justin Reed, if that's the pairing you're looking for in like 2020, 2020, 2021 and beyond. But generally speaking, this safety class on day two, day three is really, really strong. Very, very exciting. Deontay Foreman still trying to recover from a major injury at running back. The only other running back that is really definite on the roster right now, Lamar Miller, of course, the starter, but Lamar Miller, he's aging. Uh, he's not spectacular. Uh, I, I feel like they absolutely could use a running back. I would want a three down back if I were the, the Texans, somebody that could block as well. Cause the Lamar Millers and the Deontay Foreman's haven't been good blockers. Is there a guy in the third round, for instance, at running back, that would be a name to look for if you're a Texans fan? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think running back is the area that makes the most sense in terms of where you want to be drafting players in this class, specifically that third round area. And then also running backs, you just don't want to spend super high draft picks on them because typically, uh, you know, they're a more injury prone position and you can run that position more so by committee. So, you know, third round, I think we're talking about a Damian Harris out of Alabama. Not super exciting physical traits, but he's well experienced, but doesn't have a ton of mileage. Really, really nice one cut runner and absolutely can pass protect nicely with the best of them. I think you also start looking more so at guys who one year of strong production, maybe a bit of a role player at the next level. I think about a Devin Singletary out of Florida Atlantic. Super shifty, nice elusiveness, physical traits. You worry about that. David Montgomery out of Iowa State is of a similar mold, fantastic contact balance, bowling ball style of a frame. And he's a guy who's a great pass catcher, lined up a lot, ran a lot of routes for Iowa State. But again, we're talking about a guy who's really lacking in, in super explosive traits. Those are the names that I would be thinking about in terms of round three that make sense for the Texans need at running back. They met with homegrown running back Travion Williams, who I saw play in high school myself. And, and of course, we all saw locally here with the Aggies. Do you like him? Yeah, well, Travion Williams is, is an interesting guy because he's got the home run speed, which you love to see. But uh, the, the the change in offense at Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher arriving, I don't think did him many favors. Uh, uh, Williams struggles to read through the line of scrimmage and kind of needs the road to be paid for him in order to hit it vertically upfield. So gap power style runs, which the Texans do have a fair bit of, he will be you know more successful on those concepts where he can just get it, get the ball out from under center fully a vertical stem, hit one speed and go. He's obviously got some nice looseness to him, some power, but generally the vision, the decision-making and the instincts are a little bit lacking. And so Williams is a guy you want to see as a member of a committee. His ability to hit home runs because of his speed makes him an enticing draft option, but he's not a guy you want to be your bell cow running back, the guy who has 20 plus carries a game, because I think he's going to give you too many negative zero yardage runs for you to keep a sustainable offense under him. Later in the draft, I feel like the Texans uh, might be looking at wide receiver because they have a couple wide receivers with uh, a lot of injury issues that they, they can't necessarily rely on going into the season. Will Fuller, Kiki QT, I mean, if they're on the field, it's fantastic. They're, they're, they're exciting players. I mean, it, it's going to be in a really explosive offense, but uh, they could use uh, maybe another wide receiver uh, around because you just don't know what those two guys. Is there somebody fifth through the seventh round later in this draft that you think it might be might be somebody that uh, they should look at that could surprise people 
Yeah, fifth to seventh round. I mean, wide receiver is a position where so many athletes are poured into the position at the college level that you can always find really good value on day three. To me, I, I look at players who productive in college, probably not super strong physical traits, but they can just go and carve out a role for themselves. Keyshawn Johnson out of Fresno State is one such player, nearly the career receptions leader uh, for the Mountain West Conference by the end of his career with Fresno. Super reliable hands, great on the back shoulder, adjusts nicely to the football into the air. He's not going to be an elite separator, but he is going to be a guy who, if your quarterback trusts him, he can help you move the sticks. Another guy that I like is Oregon's Dylan Mitchell, who you know was Justin Herbert's primary target this year for the Ducks. Very loose athlete, very flexible, very explosive, really dangerous with the ball in his hands. He has some issues tracking and addressing the football. Hands aren't super strong. He's a little bit late locating it. But in the short to intermediate areas, he's a very exciting player. And then the last guy that I would bring up would be a Jamal Custis out of Syracuse. who's like a 6'4", 220, sort of above the rim player. He's got really nice vertical ability, some impressive hands catches, but he's raw sushi. And so he's a guy that you want to bring in and give him a little bit of work. Year two, year three, maybe you start to see returns on those investments. Locally, uh, Ed Oliver has been a big story in Houston. I mean, he's a high school uh, kid here, played at Westfield, and then went on to U of H, and just been outstanding, of course, uh, at U of H over the last few years. Where do you think he goes in this draft, and, and where do you see his fit in the league? Because you know, there's just a lot of talk that you know he played a lot inside in college, and probably not going to happen in, at the NFL level. Yeah, Oliver. I mean, to me, we hope to see him go in the top ten. I think he's deserving of going in the top ten. The tricky thing is finding the team who's going to take the gamble. And it is a bit of a risk because Oliver is a smaller player who dominated some inferior competition. And his his exact fit at the NFL, like you alluded to, is tricky. He's going to be a three technique by the team who drafts him because that team's going to believe in his ability to rush the, the passer as a traditional defensive tackle. That's how he's going to get drafted. I think it'll be in the teens. I don't think it will be in the top 10. But I do expect Oliver to be a very productive player at the NFL level. You can't teach quickness. You can't teach flexibility. And he's got a bevy of pass rush moves. Really, really polished player, especially when it comes to affecting the passer. And that's what matters in today's NFL. So to me, outside the top 10, going to be a three technique. Going to be great. Brian Gain has one draft under his belt. He didn't have a first or second round pick in that draft, but did incredibly well with Justin Reed. Uh, how did you like his first draft with guys like Jordan Thomas and Jordan Aikens, the two tight ends, uh, Martinez Rankin, he's still a work in progress. We don't know what's going to happen with him. He's still a work in progress. But uh, when you look at uh, some of the guys that he drafted last year, how did you see what he did? Oh, well, so I loved the Justin Reed pick and being able to grab a player like Justin Reed at 68 in the third round when you didn't have those early selections was really, really strong because I think Reed's going to be a quality start in the league for a long time. I did like Rankin, and you're right. Rankin's a player that you have to figure out because he's going to be a piece of the puzzle, and right now there's so many gaps uh, across the Texans' offensive line that it's tough to figure out where exactly he fits. So he'll benefit from some stability from some long-term starters around him so that he can pick one spot and be good there. The combination of Aikens, Kuti, and and Thomas – illustrates how much Bill O'Brien wants to throw the football and how important it is to get weapons for Deshaun Watson. So to me, all three of those picks I like. I probably wouldn't have spent as high of a pick on a guy like Jordan Akins in the third round, but I understand it. You know, you have that vertical seam threat at tight end. That can be a valuable aspect to your team. And I was a huge Duke Edge of Four fan. I think he's a really, really exciting player if he can stay healthy. Really fits the mold of what the Texans can do on their defensive line because they're so multiple, because they line up people at different spots. So I really, really liked the Texans draft class last year. I thought it was a home run. Interested to see what they do with 
early round picks because these are the ones you really got to be able to hit are these first, second round picks. That's what's going to matter in this upcoming draft. Is there a guy that you think can be a real surprise, not in the first round that, you know, could be somebody that we're talking about for years to come as a, as a pro bowler, all pro player where you look at and you go, this guy, nobody's talking about him going in the first round, but I see him as, oh, that, he, he, he could easily be something really special in the NFL. Oh, it's a tricky one. Uh, I think that we have the potential. I think that if NC State center Garrett Bradbury, who's a smaller player, but is wicked quick, really, really technically sound player on the hoof. I think if he ends up in a situation like with the Los Angeles Rams, with the Green Bay Packers, where he's going to run a ton of outside zone, we could look back at Bradbury in you know 10 years and say like how that this was so obvious. If he just ended up in his own scheme, clearly he was going to dominate the league. He has Jason Kelsey-like ability in that regard. So it's conditional on fit, but Bradbury could be huge, huge value for where he's drafted if he ends up at the right spot. All right. Last thing I'm going to ask you about is, you know, everybody's talking about the quarterback at the top of the draft out of Oklahoma that I feel like it's it's just almost assumed right now that Arizona is going to take him. I mean, is that still the assumption? And and do you like him? Kyler Murray? Oh, yeah. Kyler Murray. I mean, Kyler is an unbelievably physically gifted player. And some of the throws he makes just make you chuckle, rewind the tape, chuckle, rewind the tape, chuckle, rewind the tape. Like, he's just a fun, fun, fun player to watch. There are gaps in his evaluation. Very much the same way they were for Baker Mayfield coming out of the same system. You do not see a lot of throws beyond the first read inside of the pocket. It's either first read throw or we're outside of the pocket. We're scrambling or making it up. And there's very little in between. When Murray goes through his progressions, you can see there's some uncertainty. There's some jaggedness to it. Uh, and he does have a, a bit of an untrustworthy internal clock in terms of when pressure is going to arrive and how that affects him. When pressure does arrive and he's forced to stand and deliver, mechanically he drops off and it tails off his accuracy considerably. So he's kind of a quarterback where if everything goes right, he's great, but things can get a little bit wonky if you throw a grain of sand into the finely tuned machine. That being said, that's true of many, many, many quarterbacks who come out. Kyler Murray's absolutely deserving of a first-round selection. It's a super high-ceiling player. And if you build around him correctly and you develop him early, year one's going to have some bumps and some bruises. Yeah, he's, he can be a starter for you, and he can be a dangerous, deadly starter for you. All right, if anybody wants to follow what's going on with you and, and some of your projections and things like that, uh, how can they do it, Benjamin? Yeah, no, at Draft Network LLC is the spot. Our live shows will be broadcast over that Twitter account on the three days of the draft, so make sure you're hooked up for those. I'm on Twitter at Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-A-K, and all my draft work work will be there at thedraftnetwork.com. Yeah, tell people about the Draft Network because uh, they might not be super familiar with that. And I know as soon as the Texans make some draft picks, everybody's going to run and go, okay, where can I find out more about this guy? So the Draft Network, uh, wonderfully exciting uh, draft-centric year-round site where we've been doing the the film work on these players since their last, you know, their their previous season, I should say, in 2017, and then of course through 2018. So you can find uh, over a thousand player profiles on the site on over 400 different players. And if there are any players we don't have profiles on, you can find their biographical info and, and their their combine results and their measurements, so on and so forth. Uh, there's the mock draft simulator, which allows you to run like seven-round mock drafts for the Texans pick at every single selection and the computer will do the rest of the other teams. There's also the build your own big board interface, which allows you to make your own big board positional rankings and use that in the simulator as well. So interactive experience. We love to do, we do a lot of live shows. We have two podcasts locked on NFL draft 
and the Draft Seats podcast. And we have, of course, a ton of Britain content for you guys. Like I said, it's April, man. Tis the season. Absolutely. And oh, my goodness, the draft can't get here soon enough. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate you coming on the show with us. No, thank you so much, Robert, man. You have a good one. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hey there, listener. Are you a fan of Houston Cougar Athletics? Well, Sam and I have got the perfect podcast for you. It's the Scott and Holman Podcast. Yeah, we're talking all things Houston Cougars, in-season, off-season, recruiting, on-field results. If it's Houston Cougars, we're talking about it. So search Scott and Holman Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.